0: All right. I hope that was a blessing for you. Uh, you know, many times when I have studied the sanctuary in times past, uh, even though it was fascinating to me, but because it was presented almost like trivial pursuit, you know, this the hook means this and that means that, and that's all fascinating, but it didn't help me with my walk with Christ. And so I began to lose interest. And so... What I hope to do here is to, is to connect some of these things with that relationship. Now, obviously, we're not going to be able to exhaust that in these six-part series. Do you know what we're going to be studying for all eternity? Is the plan of salvation. And uh, so I hope today will at least launch us out and give us a good head start. But uh, <clears throat> we'll go ahead and uh, get into this. But uh, once again, hope you don't mind. I like kneeling before the master. Let's kneel before him as we begin this, this hour together. Lord, I want to thank you again for wetting our appetites and beginning that process of giving us a deeper understanding and appreciation for this model you have given to us, this illustration of how you plan to deal with sin and save sinners. And, and so, Father, I, I pray that as we enter into this next segment, I once again confess my need of you. Please, Lord, bring to my mind what you want me to say. There's so much I could say. There's not enough time to say it. So give to me the illustrations and the words. Father, you know the life of each person here and the secret struggle in their life. And so I pray you'll bring something out especially for them to encourage and strengthen them and reveal your love to them through this presentation. Thank you, Lord. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that I, I hope to accomplish in this presentation is to just kind of bring you up to speed and, and lay a framework for the, 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 the preceding studies, the studies that are about to follow. But, uh, but I couldn't think of a more practical way of doing it than by showing you the sanctuary as a model for prayer. And the sanctuary teaches us how to pray and what to pray for. Now, the sanctuary, as I mentioned, was given to the Lord. Ooh, maybe I should. Is there any way we can block? Oh, wait, what am I saying? Is there any way we can kill the lights? That's it. Let me stand over here so you can see this better. I forgot that that was out there. But the sanctuary uh, was given to the children of Israel as a kindergarten to understand how God was going to deal with sin and save them. And the whole idea was to bring them to a faith relationship with Jesus through this system. Did you know that? Did you know that Israel was supposed to operate by faith? Did you know that? Open your Bibles with me real quick, and let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. And we know this chapter to be the faith chapter. And... um, By the way, you'll notice that they're all Old Testament characters in Hebrews chapter 11. So the people in the Old Testament were saved by faith. But I wanted to just share with you verse 4, which I think is very significant in what what I'm saying here. Verse 4 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was white. Was what? He was righteous, right? His righteousness was by what? It was by faith, but it was revealed through works. But his righteousness was by faith, God testifying that his gifts, of, the, of his gift, and through it, he being dead still speaks. So by faith, Abel offered to God what? Okay, now watch this. He didn't offer God, He didn't. it doesn't say here that by works, Abel offered a sheep. It said, by faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice. What was the more excellent sacrifice that he brought by faith? He brought the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Abel came to understand that the death of the sheep was not going to save him, but that that sheep pointed to one who would. Abel came to faith, and so Israel was to come to faith, A faith relationship with God. And so the sanctuary was to lead them to that. Today, the sanctuary points to us, to what God has done, to what God is doing, and to what God is about to do. Amen? And so what we're going to do is a very practical approach. And in the sanctuary prayer, one of the benefits of the sanctuary prayer is that it keeps before us present truth. And you will see that as we go through. The other thing that helps me in the sanctuary prayer is to keep my attention. How many of you find yourself in the middle of prayer working on your grocery list? Find your mind wandering off and then you can't remember where you were or even falling asleep. Well, praying through the sanctuary has helped me to keep my focus. You know, Ellen White tells us how important it is for us to reign in our minds and not to let it wander off here and another. And the sanctuary, praying to the sanctuary is one of the ways that helps me to maintain my, maintain my focus when I'm praying to God. The sanctuary also teaches me how to approach God, and we'll go through that together. But one thing I do want to say is that you don't have to pray through the sanctuary for God to listen to you. Did you hear me? Well, I'm not teaching here that this is the only way or even the best way to pray. That's not you know there are models in the in the Bible for prayer. Jesus gave us one. We call it the Lord's Prayer. You read in Daniel nine about Daniel's prayer. And if you were to compare the sanctuary elements with the prayer with the prayer of Jesus and the prayer of Daniel, you will find similar elements that are to be found within prayer. What we're talking about is the science of prayer. Are you with me? You make sense so far. All right. Let me hand out to you. Uh, this, I'm handing you my prayer my, my prayer, my study. We're going to have some, some imagery up here and text, but I decided to, give, to make a copy of my talk as well so that uh, you can make notes and maybe share with others if you wanted to do so, or even give the sermon yourself when you got home. Here's three. Three, four, and two. Thank you. And I'll put this here if anybody else comes in late. What we're gonna do uh, as we work through this together, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna share with you the role of the priest as it related to the earthly sanctuary, what he was doing. Uh, If you will, the priest was a kind of a teacher. His life was an object lesson for the people to come to an understanding of the work of Christ. So the first thing I'm going to do is show you the work of the priest. The second thing is how it points to Jesus and then how that helps me in my study, in my prayer life. Are you with me? So number one, the work of the priest. Number two, how it points to Jesus. Number three, how that teaches me to pray. You have a handout right there, right by you. You, And if anybody comes in late, if you can give one too, that would be great. Thank you. So let's take a look. Uh, at the first quote, Great Controversy 519. Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to what? Neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures might be overcome. Will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, he invents every possible device to do what? Engross. To engross the mind. He wants to keep us busy, doesn't matter what it is cars, uh, relationships, uh, computers, whatever whatever to engross the mind and to keep us from prayer and the searching of the word he will do knowing he'll be fully successful in doing it so we must not allow him to do that so the first thing the sanctuary teaches us is the when of worship uh, and that is the timing for prayer and on earth the priest was involved in what was called the daily service in the morning the priest would be high up waiting for the sun to break the horizon. And when the sun broke the horizon, he would blow the shofar, which was a call to worship for Israel. At that time, Israel would turn to the sanctuary, and they would pray. And they would offer up a sacrifice, which was a sacrifice of dedication. They were dedicating themselves for the day. And of course, part of the work of the priest was not only the sacrifices— He washed his hands and feet, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as he dedicated himself. Kept uh, the the lights going on the menorah, the bread on the table of showbread, and the incense on the golden altar. But, But the first thing we learn is that the model for prayer is found in a sanctuary to be in the morning. In the life of Jesus, we see this. Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5 says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the what? of the learned. Thank you for helping me. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me when? Morning by morning, morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Isn't it amazing? Who was it that woke up Jesus every morning for study and for prayer? It's the Father. Do you know that the same Father does the same for me? This morning he woke me up at 3 in the morning because he knew I needed extra time to prepare for today's presentations. But I didn't know that God would do that for us. And so I remembered an old co-porter in my church who prayed and, 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 and he shared with us, he was a praying man, and he said to me, yeah, the Lord wakes me up in the morning, I don't have an alarm clock. You know, I don't have an alarm clock either. I don't bother with it. Jesus wakes me up in the morning to spend time with him. And why in the morning? You know, a wise pastor once asked this question, when does a soldier put on his armor for battle before the battle or after the battle before so to have our worship after the day is done is is is, dick ophill said this he says if we do that we're going to end up with the loser's prayer i'm sorry i did this i'm sorry i did that i'm sorry i did this that's the loser's prayer but if we pray in the beginning when we confess our need to god then God can strengthen us through the day. Amen? So the sanctuary tells us about the timing of our worship is the first thing in the day. Um, and that's how we began. But now it also gives us a model of how to pray. So the first thing we do is we enter to the gates, and uh, that's the one entrance, and the repentant sinner, when he brought his sacrifice, would come to that gate, and the priest would meet him and explain to him the part that he was about to play in the sacrifice. Well, how does that gate, what does that gate tell us about Jesus? John 10, 9 tells us, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Saved. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the what? The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except what? Through me. And uh, you know this idea that all road leads to heaven? No. It leads through Jesus Christ. Or it doesn't lead to heaven. Amen? And so in my prayer life, I'm coming to Jesus. And the psalmist David, and I shared with you how David really had an excellent understanding of the sanctuary. David explains to us how we're to prepare our hearts and minds to approach God and it begins with praise psalms 100 verses 1 through 5 david shares this idea with us make a joyful shout to who to the, to the lord all you land serve the lord with gladness come before his presence with singing know that the lord he is god it is he who has made us and not we ourselves we are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with what praise. with thanksgiving and into his courts with with praise Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his his truth endures how long? When we praise God and thank him, it prepares the mind for worship. You know what? We often complain about things. Amen? Uh, There's about four of you. Okay. We'll pray for the rest. But anyway, we complain about things. We murmur, we complain. When we do that, we are magnifying the problem and we're diminishing our God. And we get discouraged. But when we look away from our difficulties and we think about the goodness of God and we praise Him and we thank Him, then suddenly our God gets bigger and what happens to our problems? They get smaller and we don't get discouraged. Uh, In my Bible... I don't know if you do this, but in my Bible, I like the Lord oftentimes. Have you ever had those experiences when you are are praying or you're reading your Bible and after you've been praying your heart out to the Lord and all of a sudden something will stand out? It just like lifts off the page and the Lord is giving you a special word? Have you had that experience? When that happens, dear friends, I like to mark, I claim that promise for that problem and I highlight it and I claim it. Let me just share you a couple of examples. Uh, You know, when you stand for the right or the heavens fall, people like to take their weapons and aim them at you. Have you noticed that? When you stand like steel for the truth, you're wearing a target. Did Jesus wear a target? You bet. And and so there are times when the, the lion's roar can be pretty scary. But when we turn to the word, we find strength. And here are promises that have come to my mind from the past that I have marked down special. One is found, you don't have to look these up, but one is found in, in, in Psalms 84, 11. It says, For the Lord, God, is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Hey, do you like the idea that God is a sun and a shield? How about this one? This is found in uh, Psalms 86, 17. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me will see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Is that awesome? Throughout my Bible, I have what I call Ebenezer stones. And I will mark down, I'll put the date by it and, and, and abbreviate the problem. And later in life, when I get discouraged, I will flip through my Bible and I will find those promises. And let me tell you, by the time I'm done, that problem that seems so big, it's now small. And my God that seems so small is now big. Look what Ellen White has to say about praising. Prophets and Kings 202. If more praising of God were engaged in now, hope and courage and faith would steadily what? Increase. So praising. By the way, did you know that Satan hates the sound of praise? He doesn't, hey, wake up, listen to this. Satan hates Praise. You know, He likes to do things to us that we hate. Isn't it nice to know? (laughs) You're with me? You know where I'm going with that. You know, when things go bad in your life and you start praising God, He can't stand that. Did you know that? Praising God draws angels of light. Murmuring and complaining draws angels of darkness. So we want to praise the Lord and prepare our hearts and minds for worship. Well, the next thing we do now is we enter into... Uh, the holy place and in the holy place we find uh, three furnishings the lampstand the table of showbread and the altar uh, of incense and the brazen altar is uh, really symbolic of the cross of Christ because it is at the brazen altar where the sin and the sinner are separated I wish I had a chalkboard I want you—you you all have seen pictures of the sanctuary, have you? Do you really know how to operate this gizmo? Really well, you can. You know that opening frame I had—the opening picture. Can you get us there real quick, and then bring us back here? All right. Ooh, yeah, the very, very first one—that one right there, that one. Yeah. I want you to notice something here that you may not have really noticed before or paid attention to before. You know that the sanctuary was set up. Israel was to set up their camp around the sanctuary. Now, this isn't segmented off. It just looks like a mass. But God is a God of order, and the tribes of Israel were set up around the sanctuary in order. Now, there is some discussion as to what the space was between the tabernacle and the closest tents. And the best that we can come up with that the Bible gives us is about 2,000 cubits. That's about two-thirds of a mile. So the closest tent was about 2,000. Where do we get that from? If you need a point of reference, I have it listed there, of Joshua 3, 4. There are two in Scripture. I don't remember the other one right now. But 2,000 cubits. What does this mean? I want you to get a mental picture. I want you to imagine that one day you're at home, you're doing some work at the house, and then the Holy Spirit brings to your mind a sin that you committed something you said to someone was a lie and it dawns on you what do you have to do now Israelite tell me you've got to bring your sacrifice amen so you get your sacrifice your heart your heart is broken and you head towards the tabernacle when you get to the very edge of the tabernacle before you now is a plaza of about two-thirds of a mile and now you begin to walk into that plaza what are you feeling do you think that maybe the people are watching and noticing I wonder what he did I wonder what she did would well, you think there was a little peer pressure involved in this you know nobody escapes it we all have pressure but you know for Jesus Christ it is worth being faithful always but no, everybody has, in every generation, has had some pressure to face. And when, this, when the repentant sinner, you can get us back, gets to the curtain, the priest met him, and there explained to him his role, and he would confess his sin over the lamb, and his sin was symbolically transferred now to the lamb. This is very important. If you can understand the sanctuary, you've got to follow this. got to follow the sin. Then the lamb's life was taken by the sinner who had committed the sin. And then that blood was captured in a bowl, signifying that the sin was transferred from the person to the lamb, and now it's in the blood. And then the priest would take the blood into the holy place and sprinkle it before the veil, signifying that that sin was now transferred to the sanctuary. That was part of the daily experience. Are you with me? This went on day after day, week after week month after month in israel and the sin was transferred now the transferring agent was the lamb and how does this what how does this point to jesus well john 1 verse 29 reminds us the next day G, uh, john saw jesus coming toward him and he said behold the lamb of god who does what takes away the sin of the world and so when i am praying as, as I come into the sanctuary and I'm praising the Lord, oh, wait a second, I have another handout for you. I am sorry about that. I forgot to give you this one. Can I have somebody pass these out for me? Uh, they were supposed to be uh, cut in half, but this might work well for you. You can scribble on one and the other one you can use as a handout later if you wish to give this presentation. But uh, that'll give you a model to follow me. But... Anyway, so as I'm praying, after I give praises and thanks to the Lord, I come to the brazen altar, and in my mind, um, I search my heart and mind for any sin that that I may have committed over the last 24 hours. I ask the Lord Jesus to search me and try me and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. Are you with me? I ask Him, and the Holy Spirit will bring things to my mind, and I better have a note and paper handy so that I can take care of whatever it is I need to take care of. I may need to apologize to someone, I may need to give return money back to someone. Hey, can, can we be real? Let me share with you an incident that happened to me on my way here. I knew that I was going to be standing before you, and I didn't want anything that would stand between my soul and my Savior because that would interfere with what I'm trying in being an instrument. So as I was praying to the Lord, I said, Lord, is everything right between me and you? I want to make sure that there's nothing. And the Lord brought to my remembrance, watch this. This is when I was in needles in the morning. Something that, that I was going to take care of, and I didn't do it. I forgot. Years ago, when I was a student at La Sierra, how much of the story should I tell? Don't tell your mom. She and I went to school together. But I found creative ways to get out of getting tickets. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and, um, and so uh, it wasn't right, and I asked God to forgive me. And so I made a decision to make that right, but I didn't follow through with it. And the Lord brought that to my mind right there. And I said, Lord, i got to take care of this. There was a financial matter involved in that. In fact, I'll just tell you, it was $100. And, and I said to the Lord, right now, uh, hey, we're family, right? I'll share a little bit too much. Of course, it could be recorded. Hopefully, they'll edit all this. But, you know. Um, Anybody here have financial challenges besides us? <laughs> so I said to the Lord, I said, you know, Lord, right now that's a little challenging for us, but, I, you know, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We have to do it. And I, and I said to him, but, you know, can you do something special for me? Remember how when Peter blew it and he brought the fish out of his mouth? I don't want to wait till I get home to take care of this. I want to take care of it right now. Would you provide something that that amount of money will come into my hand and I can take care of this? That was my prayer for God, all about my own prayer. I was driving through Modesto and we had something with us that we took from Arkansas to bring to a family. We went to their house. We dropped it off. And as we were turning around, the lady said, thank you for doing this for us. And she handed me the precise money that I had prayed for that morning. We serve a great God because the Lord knew I didn't need that on my mind as I'm coming out here because I don't want anything between my soul and my Savior as I talk with you. Wanted all that taken care of. And so as I pray, I ask the Lord, you know, is there anything between my soul and my Savior? Anything I have done? Anyone I need to apologize to? You know, as a husband, there are times that I'm, I'm so focused on the goal that maybe I'm not patient with my wife. And I need to apologize to her. Or maybe I, I, I didn't give the attention to my kids. And I need to apologize to them. Are you with me? The Lord will bring things to my mind. And that's what I do there at the brazen altar. The next thing that the priest would do is he would move to the labor of washing. And before uh, administering the blood in the holy place and ministering at the altar, the priest would wash his hands and his feet. This was extremely important for him to have this water experience. Because if he didn't, and he entered into the service without washing his hands and feet, he would die. So there was a water experience. He had to wash his hands and feet, and this was symbolic of preparation for service. Did you know that before Jesus began His ministry, He had a water experience? And we find this um, in Luke 3, 21-23, and we even find out why He did it. It came to pass that Jesus also was what? Baptized, His water experience. And while He prayed, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon Him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself, what's the next word? Began his what? His ministry at about 30 years of age. So the water experience was the signal of the beginning of his ministry. By the way, he was 30, very significant. Did you know that the priest could not begin ministration in the Mosaic Sanctuary until he was... 30 it all points to Jesus doesn't it and you know you and I when we gave our lives to Jesus what was our next What was the next thing we did we were baptized amen and we're baptized into service for the Lord Jesus Christ baptism is to our Christian walk what marriage is to a wedding it is the commitment amen and so it points us to Jesus. And so in this part of my prayer life, I recommit my life to God. I ask Jesus into my heart. I ask Him to give me the Holy Spirit that I could recognize His voice as He speaks to me throughout the day. And, um, and, these are, and I ask Him to rule upon the throat, throne of my heart. So I recommit my life to the Lord. By the way, you do realize that we are to commit our lives to Jesus every day. Did you know that? Every day we renew our commitment to Him. So after I have recommitted my life to Jesus, I then move over in my mind uh, to the lampstand. So we're entering into um, the holy place now. Now the lampstand was the only object uh, in the holy place that radiated light. We did have some light coming in from over the top here in the Most Holy. But the lampstand was the only light source there. It was the job of the priest to make sure that the lights never went out. They were never to go out. That was his job. Well, how does this lampstand point us to Jesus? John 8, 12 says, the words of Jesus are found, I am the what? The light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? Everlasting life. Now, The lampstand, what was the source of fuel for the lampstand? It was oil. What is the oil a symbol of? Holy Spirit. Spirit. What was Jesus full of? Today, as a church, the remnant church, God calls us to be the light of the world. Amen? Amen. And if we're going to be the light of the world, what do we need to be filled with? The The Holy Spirit. So when I get here, I ask God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I ask for the early and the latter rain to fill me. I ask Jesus to finish the work he has begun in my life. I want people to see Jesus in me. I want them to hear Jesus. By the way, you know where that begins? It begins in the home. Hear me. If if my wife and my children do not see Jesus, I'm a fake. If they don't see Jesus in my life, I'm a fake. And I can fool the people at church. And I can fool the people at my job but I don't fool my wife and I don't fool my children. And if my wife and my children cannot say I'm a Christian, then I am not a Christian. Does that make sense? So I ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit because I want George to die and Christ to live in me, the hope of glory. And I pray my heart out for that. Listen to what Ellen White has to say here. She says, "We we, We need and must have Fresh supplies, how often? Now listen, look at this next thing just blows my mind. All heaven, how much of heaven? All heaven is doing what? Stop. Heaven is waiting. You think they're anxious? You think they're impatient? All heaven is waiting, she says, for channels through which can be poured the holy oil to be a joy and a blessing to others. Heaven is looking for somebody who's asking. The Word tells us you do not have because you do not. We need to ask. And, of course, the Lord is more willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask than our parents, wicked parents, to give good gifts to their their children. The problem is we're not asking. And so here... We are summoned to ask. And so I pray and ask the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Are you noticing how each section is a cue to what to pray for? And how to pray intelligently and also in order. You know, we keep talking about revival, don't we? And it'll die away. And in a few years, we'll talk about it again. We talk about revival and we talk about reformation. Can I add a third thing to that? Let's add continuation. Revival, reformation... Continuation in preparation for translation. Amen? Amen? Because it can't be just a one time deal. And, and as I am, as I am praying to the sanctuary, all this is kept fresh in my mind. We need the early and latter rain. In my last talk that I give on Sabbath, no, Sunday morning, I'm really going to talk about how different these things are and how one opens the door for the other. Now I'll go into detail on that. But uh, but yeah. So reformation, revival, reformation, and continuation. Now, after I have asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I then go to the table of showbread in my mind. Here we found we would find uh, twelve loaves, and each loaf represented one of the tribes of Israel. It was to be a reminder to Israel that it was God who would supply all of their needs. God was too. <laughs> That's right. He was to supply all of our needs. And how does this point us to Jesus? John 6:48. Jesus said, quite simply, I am what? The bread of life. So it is Jesus who supplies all our needs. Whatever your need is, Jesus is the one who can supply it. Be it physical, or like I needed that morning, the money, or spiritual, which is the greater issue. Jesus is the one who supplies all our needs. In Philippians 4:19, we find this beautiful promise. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you have day planners? Well, maybe that's kind of old fashioned. You got one, I got one too. How many of you have those electronic gizmos and you have your whole life in there? Okay. This is what I do. In the morning, while I have my devotion, I pull out my day planner and I lay out before the Lord all of my needs for that day. I go through every appointment, I go through every class I'm going to be teaching. I go through every phone call, every meeting, and I go and delineate to Him what my needs are going to be through the day, and I ask for His help. I ask for wisdom. I ask Him to keep me uh, from being presumptuous and running ahead of Him. How many of you are always tempted to say, we don't have to pray for this, we've got this covered? Famous last words, friend. You know, I have found it to be very wise to pray before you get into trouble. Why wait till you're in trouble and then pray? That doesn't seem very Phi Beta Kappa to me. So I want to pray before we get into trouble. So I lay out everything before the Lord, and I ask Him for strength and for faith and courage to face that day. You know, sometimes the Lord may impress upon us that we have to confront someone. We need to do it with humility, amen? But we have to do it with boldness. Now, I don't know about you. I don't like confrontation. My personality, There's some personalities. Confrontation is like candy. I'm not one. I don't like it. So I need grace and courage and boldness from the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with those issues. And it's here that I address those things. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Okay. So, so, that, so it's here at the table of showbread that I am reminded to present to the Lord my needs. But then I go to the golden altar. The golden altar stood before the, uh, the veil that separated the holy from the most holy. It was at this position that the priest um, was drawn closer to Christ than by doing any other service. I find that very significant. And what the priest would do after the, the repentant sinner had confessed his sin over the Lamb, the life was taken, the blood was caught and transferred, the priest went into the holy place and the repentant sinner didn't know what was going on in there. But the priest would take incense and he would place it on the altar, David, I don't have the... Oh, it is marked in your, in, in, in your prayer, in your uh, paper, but I don't have it up on the screen. David reminds us, the psalmist does. He says, let my prayer be set before you as what? As incense. So the, the incense represents the prayers of the people. And so even though the individual could not see what was going on, but when he smelled the incense, he had the assurance that the Lord had heard his prayer. Are you with me? That's very significant. And by the way, God always answers prayers when the conditions of prayer are met. Is that right? Obviously, if I'm living a life of rebellion, that's going to interfere with my prayer life. Amen? And so, we are not to live a life of rebellion, but a life yielded and submitted to the Lord. Okay, I want to show you this. This is so amazing. How does this point to Jesus? In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, For there is one God and one what? Mediator between God and man. Christ Jesus. Um, this may not have a great deal of meaning for most people, uh, but for people who are once Catholic, this has a lot of meaning. Jesus is my mediator. I have no other. And so as the priest was the mediator in symbol, Jesus is my real mediator in reality. In Hebrews seven twenty-five, it says, therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save to the what? Now stop. Think about that word uttermost. Can you think of a more in-depth word than that? I mean, it's totally more profound than the uttermost. I love that. Jesus is, uh, is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make what? Intercession for who? For them. And so it's during this time in my prayer life that I make intercession for others. I will pray for others. Uh, The people I begin praying for first is my family. I pray for my wife and I ask the Lord to continue to sustain her and to help she and I to reflect the love of God to our family and to others. I pray for my children. Do you know that I pray for my children's spouses? I don't know where they are. They're somewhere out there. And I pray for their future spouses and their parents that they will have courage to do the right thing in raising their children in such a perverse and wicked age, that they'll have starch, courage to stand and be unpopular, but to do what's right. And I pray for those kids that they will remain pure, so that that when they meet my kids, they will have a much stronger bonding. Are you with me? I pray for them. I pray for my students. I pray for my classmates uh, from back of the academy. I pray for my co-workers. I lift them all in prayer. I want to show you a couple of, uh, oh, you know, during World War II or actually uh, even after World War I, the United Nations developed something called rules of engagement. Have you ever heard that expression? You've heard of it? You've heard of it. Rules of engagement basically is this. They actually have rules for war. Now, who would have thought war had rules? Give me a break. People are killing each other. But there actually are rules for war. If you, some of you who remember history, uh, during World War I, They hurled, they threw everything at each other. They threw, uh, 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 what do you call those, uh, nerve gas and mustard gas, all kinds of chemical warfare. Did you notice that in World War II there was none of that? Did you notice that? There was no chemical warfare in World War II. Everybody had the chemical to use, but nobody used it because they got together as a nation and they said, let's not use this in our next war. They said, okay, now everybody was waiting. If somebody had violated that rule, They were going to get it. So nobody used chemical warfare. During the Vietnam War, there was a weapon that was called napalm. After the world saw napalm, they got together and they said, let's never use that again. So napalm is no longer used as a a weapon. Are you with me? In the spiritual realm, there are rules of engagement. Did you know that? Did you know that God nor Satan can force themselves into your life? They can only come by invitation. And the choices we make invite one or the other. Did you know that I can pray for you, brother? God may not be able to intervene because you may not be asking him to, but I can pray for you and say, Lord, as a, as a resident of this planet and as a member of this human race, I am asking for your involvement in my brother's life. And that gives God permission to enter in. Are you with me? Does this make sense? God, does. he's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself in the life. But Satan, if God begins to work in your life, he can say, hey, wait, 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 wait. She didn't ask. Then the Lord can say, yes, but George was praying for her. I have a right to be here. So you and I have a role in being, you know, we're called the nation of priests, amen? So you and I have a role in praying for other people. And so here at the Brazen Altar, I am praying for other people that they Uh, that the Lord can work on their behalf to reach them. Amen? As well as issues that are taking place. I want to show you these two quotes. First, let me show you this one. I love this. This is so awesome. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host does what? Hey, has the devil ever scared you? You want to scare him back? The prayer of faith, fervent prayer, he trembles. Why? Because we're involved in a war. And prayer, Ellen White tells us that the prayer of faith moves the arm of God. You like that? It moves the arm of God. During World War II, the Allied forces developed a strategy that gave them success uh, in their battle in Europe. What they would do, they realized that they had to take command of the air. Whoever commanded the air commanded the ground. Are you with me so far? So air superiority was mandatory if you were going to win the war. So what they would do is they would send in their aircraft, then they would send in the artillery, then they would send in the armor, and then they would send in the ground troops. That was the strategy that they used. In the spiritual warfare, we've got to do the same thing. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. air. And prayer is how we combat him. We have to take command of the air if we're going to be successful on the ground. And our artillery are things like radio, satellite, television. Our armor are things like our evangelism that we do through preachers. And our troops are a laity doing corporal work. Are you with me? Bible work. But to have victory... We have to take control of the air. And as we pray, we are contending with the prince of the power of the air. How? Because when we pray, we access heaven's strategic air command, and they get involved. Are you with me? They get involved. You see, the devil knows something that you and I don't about prayer. At the sound of fervent prayer, Satan's whole host trembles. Why? Because something is about to happen. You with me? The Lord is good. Look at this next one. Get a visual on this. Ministering angels are what? Waiting about the throne to what? Instantly obey the mandate of Jesus Christ to answer how many prayers? Prayer offered in earnest and living faith. Now, I have a super active imagination. I'm going to share it with you. This is what I picture in my mind. How many of you have ever seen the painting by Harry Anderson where it shows a, a, a father and his wife and his children in earnest prayer on planet Earth, and their prayer is going up to heaven, and it shows Jesus standing by the, the Ark of the Covenant in his high priestly outfit receiving that prayer? How many of you have seen that? A few of you have? That's awesome imagery. But I picture in my mind... That as you in the morning or late at night, as your heart is broken and you're pouring your heart out, heart out to Jesus, I picture the monarch of the universe on his throne listening to the prayer as it's being brought up. And those majestic sentinels of light surrounding the throne watching this and looking to Jesus waiting for the command to answer that prayer. And you can see those muscles twitching, waiting for Jesus to turn to the angel and point. <laughs> You know that when, when uh, Daniel began to pray, the Bible tells us that from the moment he began to pray, Gabriel went into action. You ever, you ever read that? Went right into action. And so when we begin to pray, we send things in motion. What we're finding here is that they're waiting for the prayer. And the sad thing is that many of them wait in vain because we don't pray. Many times, from our standpoint, our situation looks hopeless, so we don't bother. And yet, we serve a God that nothing is impossible for. Nothing is, and if we lift up our hearts to the Lord in prayer, Satan's whole host tremble because he knows that the strategic air command is waiting to, this, to respond, waiting to respond. And so, I like to send my prayers up to the Lord during this time. And you know, whenever I do evangelism or, or wherever I'm working with young people, I'm a youth pastor. I've been a pastor. I love women's ministries. How many of you are involved in that? Any of you here involved in women's ministries, You are? Oh, he is. That's good. But (laughs) that's awesome. I love it. Enthusiasm. But I will seek out the women in my women's ministries group because what what are they always doing? They're always praying. And so I'll go down to them and I'll tell them, look, I'm dealing with this young person. I'm praying, but I want to know that I'm being covered. I want air superiority. I'm asking you to join me as I'm praying for this young person. Keep it private or I'm about to do evangelism. This is my topic tonight. I'm worried about these people who are attending. Are you with me? I get as many people to pray as I possibly can. And uh, so prayer unleashes the power of God to work. The last segment of my prayer time is in the most holy place. Here we find the visible presence of God during, uh, during the wilderness wanderings. And the priest entered the most holy place only once a year, and that day was called the Day of Atonement. It was a time when the people of Israel would search their hearts because sin was about to be finally dealt with and eradicated. And they wanted to make sure that everything was taken care of between their soul and their Savior. And, and in Israel, they knew this time to be a day of judgment. We as a people, this points to us because we know that since 1844, October 22, Jesus had been in the most holy place doing the same thing dealing with all those sins that throughout the year have been transferred to the Most Holy Place. And in Daniel 7.13, we find uh, this imagery. Daniel writes for us, I was watching in the night vision, and behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. You know, this is really neat uh, imagery here as we're seeing this actual event, not a symbolic make-believe event. Daniel saw this. Do you know that if you and I were standing on Ascension Rock near the William Miller Farm on October 22, if we had read this text on that day, we would have been reading what was actually happening at that very moment in heaven. To me, that's awesome. But but that's the imagery, and that's how it points us to Jesus and what he's doing right now. And so during this time in my prayer life, I asked Jesus to search me deeper in what's going on in my life. Okay, I'm going to be transparent with you and share something else with you. During, during uh, my last week at school, before I came out here, I grew up in uh, the environment, my neighborhood and my environment, without going into detail, was violent. It was a violent environment that I grew up in. And as a result, uh, my, my, my life was really filled with fear, a lot of fear. And Jesus has given me victory over a lot of my fears. Has Jesus given you victory over yours? I praise his name. But you know, over the last few weeks, the Lord has been really revealing to me that there are areas in my life where I experience fear still. And I just kind of brushed them aside over the years. You know, as adults, we're really good at that. We're good at masking things as adults. Young people, uh, it's out in the open with young people, but by the time you get older, you learn how to mask it. Young people and older people have the same problems. Don't let anybody fool you. But, um, but you know, the Lord began revealing to me this, and so during my, this time in my prayer, the, the most holy place experience for me is a time of intimacy with God. That's where I open up my heart to him. This is my one-on-one uh, private time with, with Jesus. And I began talking to him, and I said to him, Lord, what is the source of my fear? Where is this coming from? Why am I doing this? Help me to understand. Jesus says, you know the truth, and the truth is going to do what? Set you free. So I have embarked on a Bible study on fear. Do you know what fear is? Fear is communicating to me my concept of God. Because it's telling me that I am not trusting him in this area. And that's why I'm afraid. The Lord has been revealing this to me. It is showing a lack of faith in him. Do you think that hurts his feelings? Do you think, does God have feelings? Do you think that hurts him when we don't trust him after all he's done for us? And so I have been asking him to show that to me and how to deal with it. That's part of the investigative judgment, amen? I want him to deal with the fears in my life, along with other things, and we'll talk more about that in our next segment, on what the investigative judgment looks like in the everyday life, but that's part of it. And so here I I share with Jesus, I ask him to come into my life and give me a deeper search. And uh, not only, you know, the sins that I ask for forgiveness for out here, I want to know the source. I want to deal with the roots. How many of you have gardens? You ever have a garden? How many of you like taking care of the weeds by cutting off the top? (laughs) That doesn't work because it comes back. And sometimes when we're dealing with sin, we struggle with ourselves and we say, why does this keep coming back? And so it isn't that most holy place experience that we ask the Lord, what is the source behind this? What's feeding this? And the Lord reveals this to me, and I'll go into more detail in that in our next talk, okay? I'll go into detail how that works. But it is here that I ask that. I also revealed to the Lord my dreams that I have. I have certain dreams. But let me share with you these texts that reveal to us a little bit more about the judgment. Psalms 19, 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my what? So I'm asking the Lord, Lord, is there stuff going on in my life that I'm not aware of? Will you reveal it to me? By the way, if he doesn't reveal anything to me, should I be worried? We have a lot of Adventists out there that are borrowing guilt. If the Lord does not reveal anything to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Don't worry about it. The Lord will will reveal to you and me what we need to deal with when it's time to deal with it. Because, listen, when I first gave my life to Jesus, my life was a wreck. All the stuff that I was involved in, all the stuff that I was doing. If the Lord the next day that I gave my life to him had told me, hey, one day you're going to stop doing this and this and this and this and this, you're going to become a vegetarian, you're not going to drink this stuff anymore, and you're going to be a pastor. I would have said, take me out back and shoot me because <laughs> there's no way that's going to happen. But the Lord knew better than to reveal all of that to me at once, and he, only, he changed me as fast as I could handle it. So in the investigative judgment, he does that. We'll talk more about that. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things. Think about that for a moment. What is more deceitful than the human heart? According to the word, nothing. The heart is deceitful above all things. That's a good description of you and me, friend and the sooner we come to that conclusion the better off we are because when the more messed up we, re- we realize we are the faster we're gonna run to Jesus for help the heart is deceitful of all things and not only is it wicked it's out of control man it's desperately wicked who can know it you and I don't even understand how bad we are I the Lord search the heart I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So in in this part, I'm asking the Lord to review with me if there's anything going on in my life that isn't right that he needs to show me. But I don't do it with fear because he's my friend. Amen? Psalms 139, 23 and 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And that's what he wants to do. And we'll go into that a little bit more. But, uh, but this is where I reveal to him my concerns, uh, personal concerns, as well as some of my dreams. Do you have dreams? Do you think the Lord is interested in your dreams? You know, the Bible says, delight in the Lord, and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart, if it's good for you. If it's good for you, he will do that. And so this is, um, this is the sanctuary prayer. And what the sanctuary prayer does is it keeps me fresh in my mind what Jesus has done, is doing, and is about to do for each one of us. It keeps the present truth before us, before me in any case. Uh, Any questions that you have for me on this? And by the way, as I shared before, you don't get brownie points for praying this way. I'm not saying you have to pray this way. It just helps me to keep me focused because my mind wanders so bad when I pray. It helps me to pray intelligently. No questions on this? That made sense? In our next study, um, we're going to be looking at the daily experience and how that applies to you and I today and what it teaches us as to how God gives us victory over sin. So this is a practical study on prayer through the sanctuary, but the next one is going to be how to intelligently cooperate with Jesus in that work in the life, and the sanctuary teaches us how. Does that sound good? the Lord is good well why don't we close out with a word of prayer and uh, I guess we'll be meeting again at what time here at 3 30 will be session number three the daily today let's close out with a word of prayer father we just want to pause right here to thank you again for your goodness and mercy Lord your truths are so simple to understand we make things so complicated But you lay things out so us, so so simply, and yet we can go as deep as we're willing to go. But it's all there, Father. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who illuminates the mind, who guides us, directs us, and teaches us in the truth. And so, Father, I just pray that you're impressing upon us the things you want us to be knowing now and preparing our hearts for the next presentation in how to walk with you. Thank you. We praise you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.